Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, President of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Welcome to Israel and You. And we have our very special guest with us today, Dexter Van Zyl, who is the managing editor of Focus on Western Islamism at the Middle East Forum. And in my opinion, Dexter is probably, uh, as far as a journalist, academic scholar goes, he's been writing about these issues of growing Islamism globally uh, for the last 20 years. And in my estimation, he is a, just a profound expert in this entire area. So, Dexter, our good friend, welcome to Israel and you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. So, since October 7th, Dexter, uh, there's been an explosion of anti-Semitism around the world. And I want to start our talk today by addressing this issue of the three uh, university campuses that set before a congressional committee uh, a week ago uh, from Penn, Harvard, and MIT. And of course, just a few days ago, uh, Dr. Liz McGill, president of uh, Penn, was uh, fired and sent back down to the law school where she was a professor prior to becoming the president of Penn. And of course, all three presidents, when they sat before the congressional committee, they were not able to say that uh, violent language against Jews, in fact, calling for Jewish genocide on those three campuses uh, would not be considered hate speech unless it was in a different context, which would be making it more personal to an individual Jewish person. So what are your thoughts on, on that whole event uh, that, that's been in the news here the last couple weeks? Every time I watch that clip where the three university presidents are speaking to Congress, I keep wondering when Mel Brooks is going to come out and say, look, we're, we're, uh, we're filming a sequel to the producers. Okay. Mm. Cause it's like, it's almost like it, it's just completely and utterly bizarre for these folks to try and speak in such legalistic terms about such, uh, hateful, uh, events taking place on their campuses. I mean, essentially Jews are being driven into the equivalent of ghetto benches that we saw in Poland prior to World War II, hmm. where the Jews were essentially forced to sit on one side of the classroom, on the left side of the classroom, to differentiate them uh, from the rest of the student body. Uh, and because, just to demonstrate how different uh, they were and how hostile the rest of the community was to them. They were regarded as an evil influence. And essentially, that's what groups like SJP and the Muslim uh, uh, Student Association are attempting to do. They're essentially trying to drive Jews into the shadows of campus life. And the, the question isn't just whether or not this is protected speech, but whether or not the institutions that we use to form our elite classes in American society uh, can actually tolerate this type of behavior. And the answer is no, it can't. Uh, and the problem is, is that the university presidents seem to lack the imagination to come forward and say, look, uh, you know, this isn't just a constitutional issue. This is a, an issue that relates to the very credibility of the institutions we govern. Uh, and, and this is really a very frightening thing. What we're seeing is, is that our institutions that are 
responsible for providing us with the elites to lead and govern our society and our civilization are, are failing to essentially uh, in, uh, inculcate them with the principles of liberty, freedom, uh, tolerance, uh, and essentially even an adherence to the norms of, of Western civilization. I mean, when my dad and a whole bunch of other people came back from World War II, you didn't talk like this about the Jewish people because people understood that anti-Semitism was going to dis would destroy Europe. They understood that anti-Semitism was uh, essentially the horse on which the four horsemen of the apocalypse rode in on during the mid-20th century. And so the question at this point is, uh, and you didn't, you know, you didn't talk about Jews like that. You just didn't. Uh, largely because people understood what the consequences were. You know, it was like you didn't, you don't wave your knife at people when you're sitting at the dinner table uh, to make a point because it's a threatening gesture. It, it, you don't take your bread after you've bitten from it and dip it into a communal bowl of soup. And mm -hmm. you don't talk like that about the Jewish people. It was a, a basic premise of how people live together in a, a complex civilization. And now all of a sudden that moray, that, that code, that taboo is being broken uh, largely uh, by people who are supposed to be the, 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 the elites, the people who are supposed to govern our societies once they graduate from college. And I, I'm just, I'm shocked by it, but it's been a long time coming. And a lot of the institutions that were supposed to protect uh, our society and help us to be self-governing people just took the guardrails down. I, liberal Protestant churches took the guardrails down. Academia took the guardrails down. And the interesting thing is, is that Harvard, just a few years ago, they imposed a restriction. They said that you couldn't get involved in student government if you belong to a same-sex organization like a fraternity or a sorority. You know, that if it was just a single gender organization, they wouldn't let you participate in the larger campus life. And now they're telling us, oh, well, we can't intrude on the lives of our students to basically tell them, oh, look, you can't, you know, engage in like genocidal rhetoric against the Jewish state. It's like, look, just a few years ago, you were telling people that they couldn't join the equivalent of sororities or, 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 or fraternities. Come on. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, going back in history, Harvard has this long sort of connection to anti-Semitism. And uh, during the Holocaust, there was a graduate of Harvard that had become the uh, foreign press secretary in the Nazi party under Adolf Hitler. And Harvard invited him, and this was in like 1938, after the Jews were already being uh, you know, placed on trains and headed to the death camps. They invited him to place a wreath honoring uh, Nazism uh, with a swastika on this wreath at the chapel at Harvard University. So there's this there's this long sort of dark history that that these universities have with anti-Semitism. And of course, Liz McGill, the president of Penn, uh, it, it just didn't start a few weeks ago in this um, congressional hearing where she was asked, "Is calling for the genocide of Jews?" Uh, considered hate speech, in, in which he answered, uh, you know, a, a very legal uh, way. It depends on the context. Well, anyway, 
back in the summer, <clears throat> the Jewish students were were being persecuted and threatened by the Students for Justice of Palestine. They were, you know, calling for protection. And uh, the president, uh, Liz McGill, said, no, it's free speech and we're not going to do anything about this anti-Semitic language against the Jewish community. So it's just, it's kind of breathtaking, as, as you said, uh, Dexter, it's like the rails have been taken off at these, these major universities. And, and I think this is just more widespread than Penn, Harvard, and MIT. I think it's, it's nationwide on our college campuses. And do you, do you think it's going to get any worse than this? I mean, when the, you talk about the, the guardrails coming down, uh, I mean, are we entering a new era where it's just going to become uh, okay uh, with no, you know, you can't be penalized as a student when you when you call for the genocide of Jews. What what do you think? Well, I think Daniel Pipes wrote maybe ten years ago. He said that the golden age for American Jewry is over, and mm -hmm. this was you know, and it it's been a long time coming. But I I hope I'd like to think that at a certain point, the people will start to put the guardrails back up. Uh, the thing is, is that the October seventh massacre was basically. Uh, a very clear message uh, sent by Hamas that Jews are not safe in their homeland. And mm -hmm. then what happened was, is that people outside of Israel said, and you behaved in a manner to make it perfectly clear that you're not safe outside of your homeland either. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's really what this is about. This is about whether or not uh, non-Jews can come to their senses and recognize uh, that there is a genocidal movement that has been given Rather, people, instead of responding with horror to what they saw on October 7th, which was terrible acts of violence, Islamist organizations here in the United States came out with statements the very same day, mm. essentially defending uh, Hamas's violence, portraying it as a legitimate act of self-defense and, and, uh, and a liberationist attack. And, and it, was, it was clearly not that at all. And so... Uh, there were some people uh, who understood the history that responded immediately with horror, but there was, was a whole bunch of young people that seemed to think that this was just okay and that this was part of an anti-colonial movement. And I, I don't like picking up tropes on the internet, but the West is next. That is a legitimate argument to make. The same techniques used to delegitimize Israel and render... Uh, Jewish life, uh, a burden on humanity, are now being directed on uh, towards the Western democracies and their inhabitants. A question I have for you, Dexter, is, you know, Hamas, <clears throat> within Gaza, they, there's posters. And uh, the posters say, first, the Saturday people, and then the Sunday people. And so, as, you know, I've investigated the ideology of Hamas in the last couple months since October 7th. Uh, my question to you is, is it, is it actually true that Hamas has this ideology which wants to start with the Jews, but then take their radical Islamism and spread it globally to establish a global caliphate? You know, and they're, they're a proxy of Iran, of course, and I think Iran has the same the same purpose and goal, which is to establish a, a worldwide caliphate. 
So is that, in your estimation, I mean, something that's going to happen in our lifetime? Are they, are they moving towards this? Or is, is this going to, this, this war in Israel, when we take out Hamas, do you think we'll have a time of maybe uh, peace for a while? Or what do you think? Well, I think, first of all, Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, which was clearly founded with the intent of establishing, of imposing a, a caliphate and, and replacing secular leaders in Muslim countries with Muslim, you know, pure Muslim leaders, mm-hmm. according to the way they saw it, and to impose Islamism, uh, particularly at least in Muslim countries, and then after that on the West. And what we saw in the 1980s was a whole bunch of activists coming from the Middle East uh, associated with the Muslim Brotherhood that went to Europe, that went to North America to basically promote this ideology and hostility towards Israel was a central element to this campaign. Uh, And so the interesting thing is, is that I think we're going to see the defeat of Hamas but the uh, and so essentially the Muslim Brotherhood has lost uh, a bit of territory, you know, its last bit of territory that it had any direct control over in the Middle East. It lost it in Egypt. Uh, but the one thing that we have seen is, is that nonprofits in the West and charities in Europe uh, are essentially uh, still trying to advance a Muslim Brotherhood Islamist agenda that has been largely discredited in Muslim majority countries. They don't they don't want to live under this. Right. And they won't say it explicitly, but there is an a, a, there there is an aspect of Islamist supremacism that is uh, uh, obvious in the agendas of organizations like the Council on American Islamic Relations, and we have to defeat them and we have to counter them here in the West. But I think I think once we start to hear the testimony of people living in Gaza about how bad it was to live under Hamas that we might actually start to be able to deal with the impact of uh, Islamism in the West. When they went to uh, rape and kill all the women that they did, Hamas was sending a very clear message uh, that that they were trying to tell the Jews that their women were not safe. They were trying to say that your women are not safe as long as you try to live in the land of Israel. And any organization that aligns itself uh, with Hamas, even in an oblique manner, is basically an enemy to women's rights in the West. And, and that's very clear because one of the things that we've seen is, is that where there is a strong Islamist influence in cities in Europe, uh, England, uh, places like Belgium, and, uh, and uh, it was that women are less safe. Because and, and I think we're going to start to see that problem, unfortunately, make itself evident in the United States as well. You think there will be ever a time uh, when, you know, the, the vast difference between Islam and Islamism, will there, will there be a time when peaceful Muslims, and there's, what, about 2 billion Muslims in the world, 1.5 billion are peace-loving, and then 500 million are radicalized. Do you think there'll be a time when, when peace-loving Muslims are going to rise up in a much larger, you know, vast number than today and, and protest against the radicalization of their religion. And uh, maybe explain a little as well on the difference between Islamism and Islam. Right. Now, that's the interesting thing is, is that, you know, when you see the protesters, uh, Islamists basically protesting outside Christmas tree lightings, you know, the average Muslim 
you know, I hope would not support that. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we started to see more of that, which gets back to your last question. But the, the difference between Islam is a 1400 year old religion that has very manifold expressions. It has different uh, interpretations of how it's supposed to be practiced. Uh, and Islamism is an ideology that's basically about 100 years old that draws on a very uh, fundamentalist view of how Islam should be practiced, and it turns it into a political agenda, and it promotes a certain level of supremacism, uh, not just against non-Muslims, but other Muslims who do not agree with their agenda. And there's a tremendous amount of uh, hostility towards Muslims who don't adhere to their view. And there's also even, you know, differences between various elements of the Islamist community as well. They don't all agree with each other. Uh, but the problem is, is that they are the most likely Islamist organizations in the West in particular. They've been able to set themselves up as gatekeepers for the larger Muslim community with the help of secular leaders in the West, local mayors and cities. Uh, they will go to Islamist leaders thinking that they are the, the legitimate representatives uh, of the Muslim community writ large, even though they uh, uh, promote anti-Western uh, ideologies because they want to get the votes. And they will send money to these institutions and they will invite them uh, to participate in roundtables regarding interfaith relations. Interestingly enough, when the Biden administration rebuked Nihad Awad, uh, the director, uh, the national director for the Council on American Islamic Relations, just uh, earlier this month, that was a, a, a very, very important moment. And I hope we see more of it. What happened was is that Nihad Awad uh, essentially said very hateful things about Israel, compared them, uh, you know, said that they were the occupying power and were, had no right to defend themselves against Hamas. And essentially, he lauded the attack on the that took place on October 7th. And it was a, a shocking thing, even to people who had otherwise been supportive of bringing Council on American Islamic Relations into the fold of American civil society. And I think one of the reasons why uh, the Biden administration was shocked by that is because Joe Biden himself grew up in the shadow of World War II and understood what October 7th marked to return to. This was a return to the pogroms that, and the massacres that we saw in the mid 20th century. And it was the worst uh, day of Jewish death that we had seen since the Holocaust. And he understood that. And uh, there were some people who still get it. And But what we see is, is that these organizations like CARE and others like them, they set themselves up as the gatekeepers and as the, the true representatives of the Muslim community. And the rest of us go along with it. And uh, it's terrible. Yeah, so care, talk to us about care. How widespread is care, you know, in our government? And it seems to me the last 10 years or so, you know, as you say, care has set itself up as, as this peaceful gatekeeper. But uh, is it itself a radical Islamic organization? Well, now, this is the interesting thing. CARE was founded in 1994 by Nihad Awad and a couple of other people, but one, and they basically uh, established this organization largely uh, as a way to promote uh, uh, Hamas anti-Zionism in American society without wow. actually saying we're going to destroy Israel. We're just going to say we're going to support uh, the 48 borders. 
And the thing is, is that then they spoke in the language of civil rights and they, they affiliated themselves with the left and the LGBTQ community. But uh, now there were rank and file Muslims are saying, look, we don't go along with this. We don't like this anymore. And so they've changed tack. But the interesting thing is, is that they've gotten they have uh, state chapters throughout the country, not in every state, I don't think. But the interesting thing is, is that they will get money from local uh, uh, state governments, city uh, cities uh, and counties and also the federal government as well. Uh, to basically promote, you know, interfaith dialogue or, uh, you know, security of worship spaces, which are legitimate purposes, legitimate goals. But care is not the institution that you should be working with. But once they get that money, it makes them look like they're the legitimate representative of the Muslim community in the United States. Right. You know, for the last 15, 20 years, Dexter, you've been writing, speaking, about these issues and and uh it's almost like you know people that are in this this movement to try to uncover the spread of islam the spread of anti-semitism uh on american college campuses it's like those of us that are writing about it speaking about it it's like we've been saying that the the clouds are raining chickens and nobody sees any chickens but since october 7th it's like everybody I talk to, they say, Aaron, you know, it's, you've been saying it's been raining chickens all these years, and now we see it. And so the, if there's anything that a silver lining in the last couple months is that, uh, you know, the good news is, in, in the midst of all this terror and this bad news, is that globally, it's like people's eyes are being opened to the, the true anti-Semitic hate that it fills our world so do you in your whole field of study dexter do you see this as maybe a moment um that is a moment that we can educate and and help people understand uh is the moment going to last long or it's what do you think that's the that's the million dollar question and i i think yes it is a moment and I hope that the, the, the window of opportunity stays open. Uh, people my age and older, they, you know, they listen to me more than they used to now. That's mm -hmm. one of the things that I have found. Mm -hmm. um, and an awful lot of the people who, are, who promoted anti-Zionism in the liberal Protestant churches, they are trying to somehow you know, keep speaking about uh, Hamas violence in the same elegant and complex terms that they used before, but I think it's falling flat. Uh, and I, I think the real question is, if, if Hamas is defeated and we're able to hear the testimony from people in Gaza about how crazy Hamas really was, mm -hmm. and then we can start to draw the, the links between what Hamas did and what Islamists in the West want to do and are doing, we may be in much better shape. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Well, Dexter, I am, I'm glad you are doing what you're doing. And you've been a great friend for a long time. And uh, I've followed you. I've read your articles. And you can follow Dexter. He's the managing editor at Focus on Western Islamism at the Middle East Forum. Uh, he's writing articles uh, every week in, in uh, many Israeli uh, news sources around the globe 
So, Dexter, so happy to have you with me again on Israel and You. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.